Welcome to the Business Mentor Podcast. This podcast is where we share and discuss the experiences, ideas, and happenings in the world of business, featuring some very special guests and experts to give you advice and direction in your journey. Introducing your host, award-winning entrepreneur and Prince's Trust business mentor, Jay Dillon. Welcome back to the podcast. It's Jay Dillon, your host. We've got an interview today. We're going to be recording an interview with Kavita Oberoi, OBE. Now, she's one of the top entrepreneurs in the UK. In fact, she was voted top 100 UK entrepreneurs very recently. She's got an OBE, which was given to her for her services on entrepreneurship. She's done so much in business, the challenges. She's been on the hit show, Secret Millionaire on Channel 4, and also the BBC Apprentice, You're Fired. She's built a multi-million pound portfolio. I'm, I'm here at the offices. She's got so many in Pride Park. And really, I want to get to know her journey, her challenges, and what advice she'd give entrepreneurs with all her wealth of experience. So look, guys, we're going to jump straight into the interview. Hope you enjoy this one. If you've got any questions, you can obviously ask me after the interview. Welcome to the show, Kavita. Thank you, Jay. So with my interviews, I like to just find out a bit about your past, let the audience know where you come from, and then we'll come back around circle and see what you're doing now and tips that you can share with the audience who's listening at the moment. Yeah. So where did it all start? Um, it all started at the probably at about the age of two. Uh, my father was an entrepreneur. So he came to the UK in the 1960s and he built a business from nothing. So, you know, um, I had a start, but, you know, he had absolutely nothing. Um, and, you know, people ask, is it in the genes? Are entrepreneurs born or can they be made? For me, it's definitely, definitely in the genes. And I have memories of going out with him at a very young age, uh, probably about, as was about two. And in those days, you know, he'd go to his business, leave me in the car. Probably nothing. You wow. wouldn't ever do that now. Yeah. But I think all of that had this like that influence. Um, and as I said, you know, he, he was an amazing man. He, he did everything with his mind. So he watched somebody plumb a bath. And he set up a plumbing business, which is now third generation. Wow. He never did anything with his hands. He, he um, got over his brother from India who did some of the handiwork, but he set up a retail empire wow. in plumbing, um, which as I went, is still going now. So there's not many businesses that go on generation after generation. And that's now third generation. So my entrepreneurship really comes from my father. So that's in Bradford. So, the business so I was born in Bradford. Born in Bradford, yeah. Um, his first business, um, his retail outlet was in Bradford and, that, okay. and then that expanded out to other outlets, wow. which his brother opened, his son's opened, my brother's opened, and it just sort of went from there. So what are the key lessons you learned early on? So you were in, obviously watching your, your dad, you know, build this, this business from nothing. What kind of, what inspired you? Was anything that inspired you? Well, the thing is, I think... Um, Entrepreneurs are often quite rebellious, um, and I, I know, like in, in sort of in terms of background, um, my father was an entrepreneur, and um, but there was always like this conflict. So in our house, it was men went to work and women stayed in the kitchen. Yeah. So I was never destined to go to work and be an entrepreneur. I was one of four children. So there was my older sister, my older brother, and there was myself, number three, and my younger brother. So my older sister had a, a traditional arranged marriage at age of 19, and that was a path for me. And I think from a very early age, um, I was one who always wanted to 
challenge the norm, do things you know I'm not supposed to or allowed to do. Um, and as I was growing up, it was you know I would be the first one. I wanted to go off and do ballet lessons. I wanted to go and play the piano. I wanted to go and do things, and I'd always be getting told off because this was not the thing to be done. Yeah. So um, I got my entrepreneurship from my father, but it was very strict because he was like you know my path was sort of to not go to work, uh, not even get an education. So some of my success, um, I, a lot of my success, I must owe to my mother, yeah. who was the one who really empowered me, because I think she probably recognized some talent and what she said to me, you know, you can go and do what you need to do, but never let me down, which meant keep within the realms of tradition, yeah. never let the family down, never let any letters down. Um, and my father actually passed away at the age of 15. So it, it really, after that, you know, I wanted to go, um, I wanted to, I want to, actually wanted to be a doctor. Right. Um, but um, that time it was, it was not going to be allowed because um, my mother and extended family said I would be far too old um, for anybody to ever marry me when yeah, I finished. Yeah. So, um, you know, there was, there was always this sort of conflict going on. Um, and I remember when I sort of, uh, I got lots of lessons early on. I mean, I, because my father had the plumbing shop, I used to go and stand there as a child at four or five and I would be serving. It, yeah. I felt it like it was a sweetie shop. <laughs> and, um, I remember when people came in, they'd ask for like copper pipes or fittings and I could do those. Those are the ones I used to like because I could go to the shelf and get a 15 mil elbow off the shelf and yeah. I could serve. So, you know, that it always that selling that selling was always in there um and then you know i would uh, I, I remember as well very early on i don't know if you ever heard of herbal life yeah herbal life yeah god i think i was a distributor at age nine or <laughs> oh, ten right, yeah. you're not gonna believe it i'd stand in the in in the town with this badge on wow um you know trying to target people who were overweight and it was crazy absolutely what crazy. got you into that then the herbal life the Herbalife, somebody I knew within the family um, said, you, you know, maybe you should uh, sell Herbalife. And then I became a distributor and I, and I was only very young. Yeah. But, you know, it was always forever selling or doing things. Yeah. And I would get absolutely told off at home for doing all these things that I was doing. But it was like, it's a bit like the rebel in you. Yeah. Um, so, and, and, you know, it was like things like the Rubik's Cube. So I could do that in 30 seconds. So at school, I wouldn't charge any money, but maybe I should. But I used to stand there in the corner. Yeah. And at the break time, all the kids would bring their Rubik's <laughs> Cube. You know, so it, it was always, for me, it was about challenging the norm. Yeah. Um, and I think, obviously, um, my business lessons and, and all that, you know, came through, I suppose, that environment. Because yeah. my, my father was a very, very successful entrepreneur. In fact, he said when I was born, that's when his wealth really came. Wow. Um, you know, and I remember he 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 was one of the first people to have a, a Mercedes and then he got a Rolls Royce, you know. He, w he was amazing. People would walk in the room and he would just stop the room. He just had this sort of charisma. Um, so, you know, all, all of that sort of really rubs off. Yeah, and it sounds amazing. Your father's yeah. such an inspiration at yeah. such a young age. Yeah. But I like the fact the way you've you watched yourselves, you learned how to do it, you observed. And I talk about this on Entrepreneurs of the Prince's Trust. You know, you need to get some kind of experience. You know, starting a business is you don't just go start a business the next day. You need some experience, watch people observe. And your lessons came very early on. 
which is a blessing in mm. a sense, and that's what took you forward. So you know, you you had you know you could sell, which is mostly it's really important. What happened then after? So you did Herbalife, obviously you got some experience. Yeah. Then what happened? Did you go into education? Um, yeah, so I did my GCSEs, I did my A levels, and then I wanted to go to university. Um, and again, that was like, there's no way you're going to go. In fact, the other thing that I did very early on after I did my GCSEs, and I think it was in the summer of my GCSEs, I decided to go and get a job. Um, and I and I loved fashion, so I got myself a job in Richard Shops for the okay. summer. And that all hell broke loose because my father had just passed away yeah. and my extended family said, my mother's had a breakdown. What's she doing? She's allowing a daughter to go to work. And it really caused massive contention in the family, extended family, yeah. my, my father's um, brothers. They were just saying this is a wrong thing to do because my father was already successful. I was bringing shame on the family by going out to work. Yeah. So I, um, as I said, my mother had a pact and she said, it's fine, you can go to work, just don't let me down. And that meant you're going to have an arranged marriage, you've got to do everything yeah. else, work comes second, all of that comes second, don't let me down. So that was absolutely great experience. And I worked there for seven years. After the summer, every Saturday I worked at Richard Shops. Um, and I was the only one who could ever entice anybody to open a Richard's credit card account. So they used yeah. to leave me. That was my target. I was a born salesperson. Yeah. yeah. And even so I went to do my A-levels. I was never going to be allowed to go to way to university. So a lot of the time you have to make a lot of compromises yeah. and sacrifice if you want to try and achieve what you want to do. So when it came to going to university, I wasn't going to be able to be a doctor. Um, I was into science, so I did applied chemistry. And the playoff was I go back and forth every day. So I used to travel. That's where Huddersfield came into it. Right, okay. From Bradford to Huddersfield yeah. every single day. So, I, you know, I didn't, I didn't really go away to university, but I, I got to university. Committed, yeah. And that time, throughout those seven years, I kept my job at Richard's. So I had lots and lots of sales experience. Wow. Um, so um, and also I, I built up some cash. Yeah, which is which is important. Yeah. So you know, for for my listeners um, from an Indian background, I understand where Kavid is coming because I grew up with my sisters a bit older than me. So it was tough then anyway. Never mind being an entrepreneur. You had the 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 challenges of growing up in that kind of tradition. So you did amazingly well. When you went to university, what did you study? So I studied um, applied chemistry and I had a year out in industry. So I worked um, in that year in, in the labs. It was called ICI then. Okay. And um, so um, when I was there, it was like, that's, I suppose, that sort of, in my mind, set what I was going to do next. Because I thought, me in a lab, being yeah. a scientist, that, this is not me. What do I want to do when I finish university? And I thought, right, um, uh, uh, sales, because me, I'm a born salesperson. And, you know, where was my passion? It was healthcare. I wanted to be a doctor. I wanted a job that would get me back out to doctors. And I looked at the different career opportunities and I thought, right, and I want a company car. Right. I want these, this is my yeah. criteria. Um, and I managed to land myself a job as a medical sales representative. Um, so I got my degree and again, a lot of people had said that I wasn't going to amount to anything. They'd said to my, my parents as well, um, she's only ever going to get a B in a GCSE. And I think if anybody 
brings you down, you should always use that as motivation to prove them wrong. So for me, it's always been about a fight. I'm always proving people wrong. I think throughout my childhood, it was always about proving people wrong. Somebody said to me, don't do it, or you can't do it. I would take that as motivation that I am going to do it. So I got a first class honours in applied chemistry. And that was dedicated to the person who told me that, you know, I wouldn't get anything in chemistry because they were a professor in chemistry. And and as I said, then, um, you know, I'd I'd been working. I had that sales experience for seven years. I had a degree in, in the science and I did. I landed my first job in a big global company. Um, and I was back in front of doctors. It was absolutely perfect. It was perfect, but there was immense family pressure because now I was 22. I was educated. I had a car and I had a job. Yes. And my mother and parents, uh, you know, my mom, my extended family were just freaking out because now it's like, oh, my God. You know, it was quite scary for them because this is this is where I am. And uh, now, you know, I could run, run off. And yeah. All, you've you got the freedom, the, then, didn't I've you? I've got the freedom. Yeah. yeah. That's interesting because I can remember that when I came out to uni on the medical rep. That's why I wanted to, because the company car, because you got a company <laughs> car, and I can remember that. But for me, it was a bit different. And people, you know, I went to university, and to be honest, I, um, I did business, which is probably business information technology. I didn't really learn anything. Um, all I learned is how to, you know, survive, basically, you know, work at the airport weekends and go and pay the bills. Um, and for interesting, what did university teach you? Because there's a lot of, you know, I speak to a lot of entrepreneurs now, some are for it, some are against it. Um, I'm obviously for it if you're going for a specific skill, but you went to business, didn't you, after your, 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 your well, history? Well, I, I, I will sort of tell you how I then stumbled into business. <clears throat> but for me, I suppose at the time it was like, I was a trailblazer because no girl in our family had ever been to university. So I think some of my motives were always very different. And I will always, you know, if I was doing something, I always had to be the first one. I always had to go to the top. You know, it's yeah. all, I was quite always self-motivated. So, you know, um, and I think at that time, as I said, now it's the done thing. Girls go to university, they get a job. Yeah. But at that time, I was really pushing all the time. I was trying to break those barriers. So I went to university and I think for me... I felt like I didn't, in a way, really have all that experience of university because I didn't have that freedom. I was going back home all the time. But I think what um, was really useful as well, I think um, I think the company that you keep is very, very important because I did underperform in my A-levels. And I think as well, I lost a bit of confidence then. I think, um, I think when I got to where I did with my university, um, my for friends, you know, they were quite focused in what they were doing. So I think that has a knock-on effect. So I think yeah. all of that sort of had, did positively impact me. So I think, um, and I think the fact that it helped to, to sort of, in my mind, go, right, what's going to be my career path? Um, and then it was just that sense of achievement. Um, I just got my head down and, yeah. I, and, I, and I got my first. So, you know, you can achieve in different times of your life. Don't ever think, well, actually, my time's passed. It doesn't matter what age you are, you know, um, what your background is, what your skill base is. What you've got to do is you've got to be passionate about what you're doing and follow that passion. Yeah. No, it's interesting. And with regards to the cells, I want to pick on the cells yeah. bit because cells is really important. 
Um, I wasn't born a sales, well, I, I was when I was selling stereos when I was younger, but eventually as you get older and in the university system, you lose that kind of skill set. But you're very well, you, you kept your job going. And I think anybody can be good at sales, but it's practice, 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 practice. What do you think about sales? I know you, you were born in sales, but let's say you didn't get that initial exposure. Yeah. I think you still could have been a good salesperson if you got the exposure a bit later on. Um, I think it's quite important. A business is about people as well. You know, it's people. So you have to be a good people person. Um, and what sales teaches you about getting knocked down because you have to knock on 10 doors and you might get one person who responds and after that one, you know, it's, it's like a diminished, it's like a funnel effect. Yeah. So I think, you know, you need that resilience. And I think, and I think you know, it's important that I, I was lucky because I had that. And a lot of entrepreneurs do have that. They are born salespeople. And I think anywhere you can get some part of that experience is important yeah. because it teaches you a lot. It teaches you about disappointment. Then you think, okay, then you have to reevaluate and think, okay, why didn't I achieve that? Maybe I try it in a different way. So, but the most important thing is keeping passionate about what what it is your idea is, yeah. Um, you know, keeping focused on that. And it's having the why, you know, you mentioned mm. when someone puts, like gives you a challenge, I'm the same, mm. you want to prove them wrong. And that kind of takes you to a different level, whereas some people take it the negative, you know, they, they, oh, someone's put me down, maybe they think that I'm a bit like yourself, thinking, well, I'm going to prove you wrong. Yeah. And that's the fire that gives me to carry on going exactly. forward, you know. People didn't say I'd play football for Derby County when I was younger, I was only... 12 but I kept going to the trials and eventually I got in exactly because I want to prove someone wrong exactly you you know you can't give up and even if you have obstacles I mean I had obstacles all the way throughout my childhood yeah. um all the time I had obstacles but you know I would I would look for a way of how am I going to overcome it and that means there is a lot of self-sacrifice there because you have you have to sacrifice yourself to get cross over those obstacles but that's part of being an entrepreneur yeah exactly so you went to university you got the medical job so we've had this thing and then what took that transition how do you then set up into business okay fine so um i got my i got my degree and my job within a short space of time and and for the next thing on the agenda was marriage wasn't it that was the next how thing. old were you at this time i was a 22, 22. Okay. My mum's having kittens. I'm 22. I'm not married. Got my degree, yeah, and, I, and I've got my job as well. Um, and and from the age of 16, I was introduced to many people. Yeah. And that was another challenge. And I kept on going, no, 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 no. And then you know, it was like, oh. And I remember my mum sitting down and going, you know, there must have been somebody because, as you know, in the Asian tradition, um, caste, height, education, there yeah. has like a criteria. It's quite difficult to sort of find it's a checklist. Check, yeah. checklist. And I said, well, actually, I, there could be somebody, um, I, I know somebody who was um, at university, and I know he was the same background, um, and I think he's in Derby, but I'm sure he's married by now. And um, lo and behold, somebody rang my mother and said, we found somebody who's prospective person they're in business as well because obviously my family were business and they would be a good match so this must have been the 50th person um <laughs> yeah. so my mother along with the whole family came down to check out my new prospective husband and obviously they're in business so they had to go and vet him at the business all day my mother stalked out the business stayed there all day and she, she could go and check out the home due diligence sounds like when you're <laughs> selling a business <laughs> yeah. yeah um anyway she came home all excited as she did every single time and said yeah perfect match um, and um, this time, obviously, I knew this person 
Um, and um, I thought, well, if, you know, if I do get married, um, maybe but the first thing he has to do is take off his tash. Um, <laughs> so the following on. week, he sort of came up with his family. Yeah. Um, he had a really sad jumper, but the tash was off. And because we knew, knew each other, we started chatting about what had happened, etc. And then he said, you know, if we do get married, uh, there's a few things I need to tell you. You've just got your job. You cannot keep your job. My family are very, very traditional. They want a, um, a wife that comes into the home, no. looks after the home. We have to have the rotis and everything out every single day. Going to work is not an option. And from this time, you think all those challenges I face. I've just got my first class degree and I've just got my, my um, dream job. Yeah. And he said, also, my mother has got cancer. So you're going to have to look after her, you know, so... He says, otherwise, everything will be okay. Yeah. So, you know what? I just thought, oh, sod it. You know, this is this best of a bad lot. I, yeah, need, I, yeah, need, to, yeah. I need to sort of get on with this now. Um, and I agreed that, that I, would, I would do that. Yeah. And he said, you could come and work in our business, but you can't go out to work. Um, so those six months went very quickly. And then those six months, um, I did what I always did at work. I made sure I was one of the best out there. I didn't tell them that I was getting married because they just employed me. Yeah. Um, and then it's about people. You know, if you have a challenge, you have to engage people. You have to bring people around. You know, it's, it's for you to try and do that. And I worked with my new in-laws and sort of prospective in-laws, and they got to know me a bit better. And sort of I got a sort of said, look, I can go out to work, but I could still get the dinner on the table. Yeah. And one of my lessons my mum said to me, she said, however successful you are, make sure the dinner is on the table because then you'll have an easy life. If you're yeah. running around and that isn't there, it'll yeah. be a difficult time. So they sort of came around to say, okay, you know, when you can continue to work. Um, and so um, I, I moved to Derby. The marriage mm -hmm. was very quick. And unfortunately, my mother-in-law passed away as soon oh. as we got married. And then I literally was on the phone to my mother all the time asking how to cook. Um, and you learn in many ways. So all that time, I never went in the kitchen, but I watched. So learning can be in many, many forms. And when she told me what to do, you know, yay, I could do it. Yeah. So um, I carried on. I actually got a transfer with Bayer Pharmaceuticals to uh, Trent, Derby yeah. area. Carried on my job. Had my first daughter. And when I had my, um, I think it was my second daughter, somebody said to me, you know, maybe you should go for a promotion. Um, I think it's really important you have mentors in your life because they yeah. can help to push you. And, and I was really good at what I was doing. I was at the top of my game. It was, it was great while I, I'd had my first daughter. And then I decided whilst I was on maternity leave, I was going to go for this promotion. It was like in management. And that was a turning point for me. So I went for this promotion and I didn't get it. Okay. And at the time I was absolutely devastated. And I started going for other interviews and I thought, there's no way I'm going to work for somebody else for eight years for them to tell me I'm not good enough. Yeah. You know, the feedback was too autocratic, too much of a risk taker, wasn't a born leader, all this stuff, but they didn't even give me a chance. And some of it, I didn't even want to listen to the feedback. Yeah. And that's when I decided I was never going to work for anyone. And my business idea, because I'd worked in pharmaceuticals, mm -hmm. I was selling a cholesterol-lowering drug, a statin, which was all the rage at the time. Big guidelines came out, said doctors should be putting patients who'd had a heart attack on a statin, stroke patients to re you know, prevent a further yeah. one. So um, I, at that time, what I used to do, and again, I broke all the rules. I'd sit there with my doctors and go, by the way, this is what you should be doing. 
can you treat these patients? Oh, yes, yes, yes. I'd come back and a week later they hadn't done anything. So I said, how am I going to make this happen? So I said, no, doctor, can I try and help to find your patients on your computer system? Yeah. I said, yeah, fine, go on. So they let me on their computer system. And I'd sit there and I was always into computers. So my final year degree, it was a computer-based project right, okay. that they sold, the university sold on in the end. Wow. It was like a catalytic hydrogenation simulation. I've coded Sounds it good. all on BBC. I have no idea what that <laughs> meant and I could never do it again now. Yeah, yeah. Um, so through the computers, I, I, I taught myself how to produce these lists. And I'd say to the doctor, look, I found all these patients. I've had a heart attack. The cholesterol is high. You need to bring them in, treat them. And they would. And I saw my sales increasing like that. And I thought, that's my business idea, yeah. clinical audit. To cut a long story short, I got myself in front of the world's biggest um, brand, world's biggest pharmaceutical company, Pfizer. Pfizer, yeah. yeah. And I walk in there with my big idea and I've, I've broken every rule. I've actually done a little pilot as well. Don't ask how I managed to do all this, but I had done a small pilot of this service. Was it a software? Was it clinical? software? It was a service. Service. Okay, it was so a service, clinical audit service. So you go through it. And then yeah. And then so what we'd do is we'd go to practices, we'd find the patients and the doctor would go through the patients and um, give them the most appropriate medication. Yeah. Lipitor was the best one. It was the best one at reducing cholesterol. It was the world's biggest brand. Yeah. So I walked in to marketing manager, presented this big presentation that my company can do this. It could benefit doctors yeah. because they had a new system that had come through, which meant points meant prizes, pounds. Yeah. Mm -hmm. so the more patients they treated, they got money for it as well. Okay. So it would benefit patients because they would be not getting heart attacks. And if their brand was a brand of choice, their brand would grow. Yeah. So it benefited everyone. Um, and um, that was my big idea. And also I said, it was only me at the time. And, but I said, my company could do this. I presented all the statistics. I we had done a small pilot. I showed the benefits of the pilot. They'd shown their market yeah. share go up. And she said, right. Uh, this was in July. She said, right, Kavita, I'd like you and Oberoi to go and deliver this in 500 practices before the end of uh, 800 practices before the end of December 500 that was a half a million pound project wow and what month were you in that was in July and then wow yeah and I thought, oh my god I've like, really got to get this together now <laughs> and I went no problem we can do that yeah, yeah. and in the early days I was going out I was going out doing the audit work I was trying to recruit yeah um, you know I recruited freelancers who then screwed you and took your yeah. business idea then I got into employment it was absolutely crazy days I didn't have, I don't think, um, I used to have an answer machine on at home and all the faxes, they used to have this process where they, because their sales team was signing up all these practices. Yeah, yeah. We were just delivering. So I'd go home and like all the, it wow. could think all the things were coming through. I'd process them through the night. It was crazy. So that's how it all happened. Wow, that's, that's amazing. That's how my first business started. That's a simple idea, wasn't it? If you think about yeah. it, you see, oh, simple idea is always yeah. the best. That's amazing. So did you deliver all those? Oh, delivered it all. We worked on that brand for 11 years. And then they renew the contract or? 11 years. 11 they gave years. gave you 11 year contract. Ele well, the thing is, because we were so good at delivering, yeah. it carried on for 11, in, right until that brand then lost its um, yeah. patent. But then what happened is every time somebody left Pfizer, because they were changing, they'd go to other companies, then they knew the good work we'd done, then they would come back to us. 
Um, so your proof is always in your pudding. Yeah, Deliver a service or a product that's really good, then you will always get repeat business. And how big did the business grow in the end? Well, then, um, as I said, we uh, um, had a national team who was going over doing all the di- different work. And we're still going now 17 years on. We work wow. directly with the NHS. We work with pharmaceutical companies. And again, business has to keep on changing. So we've become more, we, de- our core business is still very much around clinical audit but we deliver it in a more intuitive way. So we're through software, et cetera. So, um, you know, so you take out resource, but you're yeah. still, you're doing it on a mass scale. Um, so that was, that was pretty much my first business. And like you said, you know, you don't really benchmark yourself. No. I hadn't really taken out bank loans, anything, because you think, you don't know what, what's the norm? What yeah. is the norm when yeah. you start? Um, and people going, you know, it was really, really profitable and I was building cash and you just think, well, that's the norm, Yeah. you know, and that enabled me to go out of my bedroom because I think the next thing I knew if I wanted to grow, you need a brand, you need a presence. Like if somebody was going to come to a meeting, I'd never invite them to my office. I'd, I'd go and meet them. Yeah. And um, I felt like because we were dealing with big pharma, we needed that branding. And we were, I was growing too big to have staff in, at the home because I set it all up at home. Yeah, yeah. And I went from there to the building. You've just walked that opposite. I meant to yeah. buy that, buy that building. And, and then I became a landlord because the top floor, then I didn't need that space. I, um, you know, leased this out That's to another co- corporate company. So then you learn all about buildings, commercial buildings, all of that sort of stuff. And in the meantime, I'm building quite a lot of cash. Yeah. And then in 2009, when the, uh, uh, as I said, um, it was 2008 I did Secret Millionaire. Yeah. I remember watching on that show, we were talking off air, weren't we? Yeah. That's when I first saw you and I yeah. thought, because you don't exist and this day and age, you've got to get out there. Absolutely. That's what I'm getting at, because you have to. Yeah. But as Indians, we're kind of inwards a little bit, you know, yeah. got the shops and obviously no one really, bright, we don't really see them role models. So seeing you on TV was like, wow, that's an, an Indian person on there. Well, the good. thing is there, when I got, when I did Secret Millionaire, I got approached two years before. Yeah. And... For me, I've always got to be very passionate about what I do. Um, my father was an entrepreneur, but what is he remembered for now is, is all his phil- philanthropic stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And I, even from a very young age, that rubbed off. So when I started my first job, I used to write a check for £100 every month to Oxfam, which I carried on all the way throughout uni and everything, all the way throughout. So when Secret Millionaire approached me the first time, I wasn't passionate about charity and giving money. Yeah. I was passionate about making it. So That's I said right. no. And it's not until I saw the first series, I thought, maybe I should do this. But the turning point for me is, and this is why mentors and role models are very important. I went to a trade mission to India and we went to see Tata. We went, it was a whole women's trade mission. And there I met a lady who had um, gone over 35 years ago and her daughter has cystic fibrosis. And when she got there, she realized that if you were disabled, you had no... um, access to education and she set up the national spastic society but she changed that law so whether you're able or disabled you all have a right now yeah and her daughter qualified with a double ma in oxford so there's no barriers is there there, to achievement and when i came back and i thought my god look at that lady she's just doing all this charity work and for me i've always dreamt it first it's always in my head and then i've done it and i thought you know what i should have done that program and as soon as i landed they contacted me a second time and that's when I did it. And for me, that's what got me into all the charity work that I've done since then, yeah. that I do now. 
And you've got to take the opportunity, you know, uh, with the Prince's Trust, when I saw my business, the first thing I wanted to do was, what, what do you do? Because I sold it and I just had a property business, but you want to do something. I thought, well, rather than start charging for coaching and mentoring, I'll go and do it for the Prince's Trust. And the joy you get back and the recognition, you know, I've met uh, Prince Charles, I know you, you have, and we'll talk about the OBE, but it's just when you give back, you receive more. Yeah. And not many people look at it that way. They want to just yeah. take, take, take. Yeah. Um, but that's amazing. So that business, how long has it been going now? So that one's been going for 17 years. So the other thing that I did in 2009, I said then I got approached by um, a business who had been hit by the banks, which was a completely different industry. That was in security. Yeah. Um, somebody came to me on the Friday and said they were going to go under by the Monday. They had 700 staff. Would I fund 700 wages? And without any due diligence or anything, I decided I wouldn't fund it. Yeah. But what I'd do, well, I would fund it, but I'd become a shareholder, turn the right. company around. Okay. So on Monday, I transferred the money to fund 700 wages. Wow. And then for the first day, I was like the heroine. And the second day, my health started. Because I was in a completely different industry. Yeah. And think because I hadn't built that business up, you had no respect or anything. You have to build it up. That's right. Because I was yeah. all the reputation. So that gave me really good experience of it was, it was a difficult couple of years. Turned the business around and I came out of that business. Yeah. But that then helped me with, um, I suppose, buying and selling businesses turning businesses around, all the lessons that I learned there was a service industry, all those different things. And we had 700 staff, Yeah, 700 staff in that business. Um, and as I said, it was a very male-dominated business. So that was quite tough again because, you know, people said, what does she know? Yeah. I didn't know about the industry, but I knew about business and some of the lessons were the same. So when I came out of that, because um, the head office, I sort of, because we had space, yes. we used this space, that was when I was never going to, it was going to be difficult to try and get a lease for two and a half thousand square feet. Yeah. And that's when in 2012, the business hub idea came along. So I thought, right, you know, when I started, what sort of things did I need? Well, I needed, I was thinking about my first contract. It would have been nice to have a call support service instead of me going home yeah. listening to all the messages all after the day. Yeah. It would have been good for me to have a presence I was lucky I was able to afford it. And I, that's when I thought, right, what I'll do is I'll set up a hub which will allow um, startups and growing businesses to have either a, an address, so they can have a Pride Park address. Um, if they grow enough, they can have a serviced office or they can move around so they don't have to have the whole yeah. space and kit it out. Um, if they need a virtual PA, they need call support. And our call answering really started very small with about five clients. We could never live transfer. We could never do some of the things, you know, when I really got serious about that business. We just used to take a message and email it. Yeah. We didn't have the proper systems, but I just wanted to do it. Yeah. And we kept on doing it. And then somebody came to me and she'd run a business in Derby and she had all the systems set up and she was retiring and she did a secret shopper. And she wanted to make sure her clients would be looked after when uh, she retired. So um, she did that. And she said, it rang me into that. I'm only going to sell my business to you. I'm retiring. I know you look after my clients. Oh. So suddenly I bought this business that took our five clients to, like she'd run it for 25 years, yeah. to 50 plus clients. Then two paid over her staff. Um, 
uh, then we took on those clients, got proper systems in place. And then I said to her at the time she retired, if there's any more com people you know who are retiring, tell me. And she told me about three other businesses. Wow. So then I acquired three more businesses. And the late, last one was the most, the biggest. Yeah. And again, lots of business um, lessons I learned there, how not to do an acquisition, you know, because you think, oh, it'd be fine. Because before we were acquiring smaller, when you yeah. acquire bigger, oh. Oh, it's hard. Oh, so yeah. So now we've got overall business hub as well. Um, which is a complete different business, which is all about back office support. Awesome. Yeah. Now, and you're helping businesses as well. Exactly, you know? yeah. In your story, you're always helping people, yeah. always helping the patient, yeah. helping the doctors. Yeah. And that's what it's all about. Yeah. You help more people. Yeah. Um, you know, it's finding benefit. it's a need, isn't it? Yeah. Sales or whatever thing is finding a win-win. So it's got to be a win-win. There's got to be a need and a win. You're matching that up. Sales is needs-based. Yeah. So you, you match, you're making That's that right. match. And you know when it's not win-win, eventually yeah. you get caught up with it. Yeah. And the amount of energy you put trying to sell something, yeah. when you know really it's not yeah. going to benefit as much yeah. as it should do, yeah. eventually you give up. And that's yeah. businesses go and they come kind of thing. Yeah. But what would you, we're coming towards, you know, towards the end of the interview, it's a fascinating story. So you've got, so at the moment, what are you doing? So you've got the, the hub at the moment, yeah. you're still doing the pharmaceutical stuff? Yeah, we're absolutely still doing the pharmaceutical stuff, we're doing a lot more with the NHS directly. Um, and um, obviously my charity work. So at the moment I've been working for the last four or five years actually with the council to make sure every child in Derby goes to school fed. Yeah. So that we've um, I've worked with a number of businesses locally to get funding in. And we've got about 17 schools engaged now. Last year, 1,200 children were fed that normally weren't because I used to sit on the council board yeah. and they were saying, well, Children are going to school hungry and you think, what, in this day and age? Exactly. So um, I'm doing a lot of local efforts. Um, as part of my philanthropic stuff, after yeah. I did Secret Millionaire, I did take on a global role and I was chairing the Global Girls Fund. Yeah, I want to talk about that because I read about that. Yeah. And that fund, was it 400 million? No, so what we, my role there was to fundraise 10 million pounds. Okay. I was the chair. So I was chairing that and we actually did that in three so, um, and again, we were never going to do it through cake sales. No. So it's just, you just apply the same principles as you do with business. So what we did, we looked at, we were about women, girls, empowerment. So we would scan all the big companies that might have a global footprint, who have philanthropic arms, maybe women is at the top of the agenda. Um, so UPS, were our, we've got them as our signature sponsor. They gave us $2 million because they matched yeah. that. They had that profile. They fit, you know, they were global, they, um, they were into women, empowering women, so it all matched. Um, and then I got to meet a lot of royalty as well, because all, a lot of people in royalty, they're into charity, yeah, giving. It was amazing, and we got our 10 million, um, and obviously Dove, uh, there were different brands and, and people. So I know we'd approach J.K. Rowling, because she was a girl guide. You know, people who'd been through that experience and knew what difference empowerment would made girl guiding made to them and obviously i got involved because i'd been empowered myself not through girl guiding but yeah. you know my mother had done it for me so um so yeah so that's you know from there now i sort of then went okay after i've done that i want to do something more locally which yeah. got me into the breakfast clubs and with celebrities and royalty because i've um, go to quite a few events and the most recent was in hertfordshire and it was john terry now now for one direction justin rose it must have been about 60 of us in the room, but they raised 1.5 million. Absolutely, yeah. And that's for um, for the for cancer research. Yeah. And the amount of work they do behind the scenes, you know, we look at them 
but they do a lot yeah. of charity work. Yeah. And I've just got approached to be president of a, of a company in, in Nottingham, um, Hearts Global. And because um, they're Derby, Nottingham Forest and I'm a Derby fan. Right. And I've got to go up there in the corporate boxes. But and I asked, I asked the person who does so much funding, but he just wants a business head. Yes, that's you know, right. Because you can bring the business thing. knowledge. It's exactly the same thing. You yeah. know, when we would sit down and we do, so before we do our approach, we'd do a full analysis in the background to say, you know, where's there a match? Where's there a need exactly? Because then when we make that approach, somebody's more likely to then give, you know. And, and I think sometimes in the UK we're a bit, we don't want to ask. We don't want to ask people money for charity and things. Yeah. You know, in America it's a totally different That's right. concept and philanthropy is part of what people do. So, um, yeah. And it's asking the right question at the right time. The Princess Trust, they, they take 55,000 young people through their program yeah. and that's not done by selling cakes no. no you know it's good to sell cakes it's good to do yeah. that you've got to look at the bigger picture yeah. where is the money where can we go how yeah. can we increase it because the more money you get the more people you can help yeah absolutely so, sort of so what would you say if i was to ask you five or three tips that you could share with the audience you know over your yeah. amazing career and we've had this great story which i've been fascinated by myself what would you say you know talking to an audience well, number one, you've got to be absolutely passionate about what you're doing. You know, you've got to have that passion because if you don't have that passion, you know, you can't, you can't convey that passion. Um, the second thing is focus. You must be really, really focused. Focus is absolutely important. Um, dedication. Um, you've got to be dead and sacrifice. You know, I, I've had to sacrifice a lot of stuff, even with family in the early days, yeah. you know, as a, as a working mother with children, family at home. It, it's you that has to put in the sacrifice. You have to, I'd have to work around all the commitments that I had. You know, my mother-in-law died, my father-in-law still living, still living with us, and he still expects his dinner on the table. So, you know, there's certain things where, um, you know, those things have to be done and you have to work around it. Uh, luckily, we have internets and computers and phone now, so you can work 24-7. Yeah. But it is, it's really hard work. And, uh, and also businesses up and down, you know, you will face challenges, you will have to, you know, what you're doing one day might look very different the next day and you have to reevaluate. So, you know, it's key, it's keeping that dedication, sacrifice, focus and passion is, is so key. Yeah, some great tips there. So this podcast is called the Business Mentor Podcast and you've mentioned mentors um, during your story. Is there any mentors you'd like to mention? Um, you can shout them out. Well, I think for me, I think uh, my mentors, I suppose it's my parents. You know, I got my early business training um, from my father, early lots of lessons there. You know, might, might not have been direct lessons, but I think that influence was really important. I yeah. had that experience. And obviously my mother for the empowering me. Um, and I suppose all the skills that, that she sort of gave me, that sort of helped me to balance both work and a personal life. Excellent. Great mentors. OBE, I want to talk about that before we before we put the interview to a close. How was that then? How did that come about? And what was the experience like? Oh, right. Okay. I, when I got the letter, I thought, oh, my God, this is from the tax office. It looks yeah. like this brown what's this? <laughs> yeah. And then I, I opened it and I thought, I don't know, really know what that means. And yeah. I thought, no, it's not. Yeah. It's not the honours. And I asked one of my staff, he said, yes, it is. Um, and that was for services to entrepreneurships and startup businesses. Um, and I think that actually came about because um, I'm a patron at Burton College. Okay. And we set up a scheme to get learners out into work whilst they're studying so that 
if they go out, do some work, one, it's good experience for them, but if they're really good, the employer will keep them on. Of course. So I had a number of learners in my own business and I kept them on. So they, I'd, I'd give them paid for work whilst university. And through that scheme, we managed to get about 100 learners out. Oh, excellent. So um, obviously that was all, with all my other sort of stuff and the business hub that we'd sorted out, um, then I got nominated for an OBE. Um, and um, it was a great day, very, very busy day. Um, it was at the palace? It was at the, yes, it was at Buckingham Palace. palace yeah. at Prince Charles um, was the one who gave me my OBE. And typically I got booked to speak as well on the same day. So you're not going to believe my day. Yeah. Um, I was all, also an ambassador for Rolls-Royce. Yeah. So they wanted to feature my story in their brand new Rolls-Royce magazine. Right. So they gave me a Rolls-Royce and that the first thing for, to take me to the palace and a driver and they had a photo shoot. So seven o'clock, the day starts with a photo shoot for their article. Yeah. I then go over to um, uh, for my OBE. But like for me, it was like I've got, I've got, I've got to now go to work. I want to do this. I've got to do that. Yeah. Did that bit, which was like wow. And then uh, went for lunch. And then straight after lunch, I was speaking at two hundred doctors in London. So I went with my hat on and I did a speech there after wow. I got my OBE. It always works out that way, you know. You want to take the moment in. Yeah. I don't know about you, but when you go to the yeah. occasions, yeah. you so want to get everything yeah. done. Yeah. And, and you think, God, I didn't really enjoy that. I'm glad yeah. I got the photographs, you know. I've got this, I've got that. But yeah, it was very good. Oh, it's really good. So where can people find you? Um, your Twitter, you mentioned, Instagram. Yeah, so show. Twitter, it's uh, Kavita underscore Obroy. Um, Instagram, Kavita Obroy OBE. I'm also on LinkedIn. Um, and um, I have got a YouTube channel, but I've, I've not. I, I need to start posting and things yeah. on that. That's one time I haven't had time to do that. But Twitter, LinkedIn, and uh, Instagram. Excellent. We'll have that in the show notes anyway. So don't worry if you haven't written it down. Uh, click on the links. I want to thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Um, re really, really nice to meet Kavita. Obviously. Uh, from Derby as well. Um, if you've got any questions, just reach us out the J at the businessmentorpodcast.com. Um, I'd like to thank you for joining me and I'll see you on the next episode.